Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Toyota Brookhaven services all makes and models. That could be why we were voted best service department the past two years. Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota Brookhaven, we deliver. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making Coast of Mississippi such an amazing place to live, work, and play. Hey, from uh, from time to time, I will share just a thought that I have on my uh, Ricky Matthews Coast View Facebook page. And um, I posted a, this thought and uh, looked this morning and like 1,300 people have interacted with it. I had a, I had the last one I did, once it, once it got out there for a little bit, 20,000 people interacted with it. So what, I, what I'm noticing is that through this show, through social media, through YouTube, through podcasts, that the voice of Coast View continues to grow, and it's exciting. I mean, go back and look at the numbers, and the the, the engagement numbers are up dramatically. Uh, but this is, a, I think, the reason that I only posted a day or so ago. But this is one that I think it, it captures a, a lot of a lot of attention because because I think a lot of people agree with it. I've I noticed that um, uh, Secretary of State, State Michael Watson uh, commented. Uh, I, I saw where some. Some uh, mayors have interacted with it, and I, I just think it's something that challenges us, uh, us all. And here's what I said. Silence is the enemy of progress. Protecting the status quo in, a, any, in any community too often means working overtime to keep, pe- keep the peace and avoid conflict. It means steering away from the sort of honesty and constructive criticism that could contribute toward building a stronger, better, and more competitive region. Solutions to problems and challenges never follow silence. Solutions to problems and challenges never follow silence. Now, look, I pick the issues that I've been involved with here on Coastview. Uh, I pick them carefully. You know, I got involved in a coastal Mississippi tourism effort, for example, because I felt like it's something we need to talk about because it's an important regional effort that needs to stay a regional effort for a lot of really, really good reasons. But uh, again, we don't get involved in every issue that pops up, but when we do, I think it's important. The thing that I noticed, and this is something I talked about when I gave the One Coast um, um, uh, address, this this, the One Coast Award address uh, this past year, was that we have to fight complacency in this community. We'll always have to do that. We always have to fight this this push, the gravity toward uh, the status quo. And that when I say the status quo, I really mean mediocrity. It's just, it's just we're, we'll be okay with where we are. I've seen the best leaders in coastal Mississippi arise when they're willing to face challenges head on and call it like they see it. And, uh, and I think that's really something important. And a community like ours that has been faced by so many challenges along the way, um, I, what I see is that sometimes silence prevails in certain circles, p- particularly with it, as it relates to uh, elected officials. 
And sometimes silence is not the best approach. Sometimes we have to, to, to say we're not going to be silent this time. And I will always celebrate coastal Mississippi leaders who are focused on bringing about change and working hard to fight the status quo, working hard to fight complacency. As, as Jerry St. Pay so well puts uh, says, th- this complacency is that Stennis is always going to be there with all its blue chip industries and, you know, the, the reality around Ingalls, it's always going to be there and Chevron's always going to be there. And I can add to the list, actually, the Singing River Hospital system will always be there just because that's the way it is. If we're not smart about how we look at all these items uh, going into the future, then we, we may, you know, taking them for granted could lead to things we, we don't want to have, and that is for sure. And with that said, I want to invite my friend Tiffany Murdoch, who's the CEO of Singer River Health System, someone I really enjoy getting to know here on Coastview. And uh, Singer River is going through its, um, its uh, strategic uh, challenges, and, uh, and things are progressing well as it relates to that. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. But before we go any further, I just want to welcome Tiffany to Coastview. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me. Um, I really enjoy coming on here. This is wonderful. So thank you. Well, I enjoy having you because you're a terrific leader. But it's true that solutions to problems and challenges never follow silence, do they? (laughs) That was the most perfect thing. I'm just like, God, I'm telling our leadership team that over and over again right now. You cannot pause because um, things will, you know, they'll surpass you before you know it. Well, we've had the opportunity to chat about this, but, you know, the, 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 Healthcare system in America has gone through tr- so many different challenges. I mean, you name the element of of the of the work that you guys do, and there's so many different dimensions to it. And there's been some some revolution, some challenge, some reengineering, some new something that it's constantly changing. So the capital requirements are immense. The need to sort of embody change as sort of a, a core value for what you do. If you don't, then you'll get left behind pretty rapidly. And in your case, you've got a unique situation where you have a hospital system that is owned by the community. So it's a it's a very unique set of circumstances. And then you add to that the pandemic, and the pandemic just put all of this on steroids in ways we could have never imagined. But, it, I mean, you've been in the hospital industry for a while um, it is dynamic. It's probably more dynamic right now than it's ever been. When I think the workforce is what really changes that, you know, dynamic because we were so used to having, you know, you know, seeing River Health System never had to have any type of contracted labor, you know, until 2020. And um, so workforce puts a spin on it because healthcare system, I mean, you know, we have our entire capital as human capital. We depend on the 4,000 people who show up every single day to take care of this community. And so that, along with, you know, supply chain and just healthcare in general, moving outside of the hospital, really from on an ambulatory standpoint, um, has changed so dramatically, so quickly for the, you know, just for the South um, and the Gulf Coast, um, you know, in particular, when dealing with us, you know, I worked on the West Coast and we were kind of dealing with this 10, 15 years ago, and it's moved very rapidly because of the pandemic. Yeah, I think about, listen, I, as a former publisher, I can't help but think about it as I'm sitting planning for the year. Um, you know, publishing a newspaper was, it's, it's unfortunately not the case anymore, but, but the reality is it was a very, very labor-intensive 
operation, very labor-intensive, very capital-intensive. In other words, you're, you, you, you were – it wasn't just printing presses, but it was uh, it was f- photographic technology and all the computers it takes to to you know actually build a newspaper, but very very uh, capital intensive. I can think about it, like if I had suddenly had to deal with a, a large number of my labor force is now capital, excuse me, a contracted labor. And the costs associated with that were, uh, I don't even know what the number is. It's got to be a gigantic number. Well, how that changes the health of the business in just one fell swoop. And then you add to that the immense capital requirements that are, when we say capital requirements, what we're talking about is buying the technology that, that is required to stay up with the latest diagnostic capabilities. And you have to have the latest diagnostic equipment in order to attract the best doctors. And uh, it just every it's just this, it just it is it is very circular. But these this what I just said is very familiar to you, isn't it? Oh yeah, I mean we had twenty five million in additional labor dollars last year just because of um, contracted staff, and you know just the you know the movement of salaries from X amount to you know this thirty percent you know, um, gain. And so, you know, we had $25 million. We have 30 million in capital needs to keep up. Cause I mean, we have, we're about, we're a $600 million entity. We have three very large facilities, 40 outpatient facilities. So, um, $30 million every year is a lot when the payer sources have not met the expense. So we're continuing to strategically capitalize on the revenue, but expenses continuing to outpace that. So, yeah, you see, you see the the, the most recent uh, situation with Blue Cross Blue Shield and UMC Medical Center, uh, what they went through, and it's a reminder that there's these constant negotiations going on between these uh, regional medical centers. In fact, it's going on between every hospital and insurance providers. Yeah. But uh, insurance providers are trying to, you know, do better and, you know, make that money fall to their bottom line. And, you know, medical centers are trying to manage at least uh, uh, companies that are financially healthy is maybe the way to say it. Right. Um, but but that but the world of in, uh, the insurance world and then you add to that Medicare and all the other issues, Medicaid and the lack of expansion of Medicaid in Mississippi. I mean, it's it all kind of comes together to create a swirl of challenges on the financial side, doesn't it? Yeah, I tell people all the time, there's not a silver bullet. People say, well, what do you think about expansion? What do you think about, you know, Blue Cross giving you more money? I mean, I'll, I'll take any, you know, revenue source people, you know, want to give, you know, expansion is good for overall population health. It, you know, it brings up the, you know, the bar for health. Um, but I'll tell you, the one thing that we can all do is work on our workforce. I mean, it is changing. You know, I think the blues are just challenging us to do better quality health care. I mean, could we use a better payer mix? Absolutely. But they're continuing to challenge us to do to change our model, which I think is a good thing. But workforce is probably our best bet right now. When we come back, we'll talk more about what those challenges are. We're actually going to get an update on the RFP process that you know that the that the board of trustees and the board of supervisors have uh, have initiated a process to to find a buyer for Singing River Health Systems. They're going through that RFP process now, and uh, 
We'll get an update on where they are on that and when we're going to know more about what the future might be for Singing River Health Systems. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with CEO Tiffany Murdoch. We'll see you after this. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. We have my friend Tiffany Murdoch, who's the CEO of Singer River Health Systems. And uh, we're just kind of talking about the state of affairs for for the healthcare industry, and in particular, Singer River Health Systems, and what will what led ultimately to the board of trustees and the and the uh, board of supervisors in Jackson County um, recommending or moving forward with accepting uh, a process for RFPs for uh, requests for essentially essentially a buyer for Singer River Health Systems, and we'll get an update on that here in just a second. Tiffany, I wanted to drill down just a tad on the the issue of contract labor, so people can understand how how big an issue that actually is. You talked about the the, the millions of dollars of additional costs related to that, but when when we when the pandemic hit, we began to hear the conversation mostly around. RNs, you know, the nursing shortages, and and you saw a lot of RNs for hospitals all across this com- country stopping working at the hospital they were working for and going to work for companies that were doing essentially traveling nurses. That, that's what we came to know them as. So talk about that for a little bit. Is that kind of here to stay? But it wasn't just that. It, it, it involves doctors and all these other professions as well. Uh, it might have somewhat started with RNs, or maybe it didn't. Maybe it was hit, hitting all of them, and we just heard about the nursing shortage more than anything else. Uh, what's the state of affairs in this whole notion of contract labor for hospitals? So, um, you know, it was more prevalent on the West Coast, and again, we didn't see it a lot here in um, the Southeast. And part of that is it did start with nurses from the pandemic, but you're exactly right. It spread to every single ancillary service that you could possibly have. And what the usual traveler would be, okay, someone from South Mississippi is going to go to California. But now we have a whole different part of contracting. Our IT people can live right here in Ocean Springs and be contracted to work in California and make that same salary, or they can go to Mobile, or they can go to New Orleans. And so travel nursing or travel any type of workforce really can be, you can stay really close to home and never have to continue to fly out and do these 13 week contracts. So, you know, it just, it elevated, you know, what those needs were because they said, okay, you know, we can even stay here and work PRN and still be on contract and work, you know, at a hospital, you know, 20 miles from us. So it just changed the landscape of workforce and work from home, you know, um, which is hard. Well, what you what you have is okay. Now, what's driving the cost up? Not only in some cases are the nurses and other professions making more for you know a shorter period of time. That you also have the company that's hired them, and you have their expenses and their whatever their add on is on top of that. Before long, man, it it snowballs quickly to a, a, a significant cost. And how do you reverse that? <laughs> Well, I mean, I can't even, you know, I've looked, worked with some economic development um, people in the industry and, you know, housing has changed because of that. I mean, people have their salary, their, you know, average annual salary has changed so much. And usually 
they bounce back after 13 weeks, but this has been three years worth of salaries that have changed. And so we don't ever expect expect it to go back to what it was. Um, we we do expect it to, you know, probably, you know, round out um, over the next two years, but it's not, I mean, we have a continued aging workforce, not just nursing, but just everything. And our workforce is changing in regards to being able to work from home and not just be in hospitals to be in ambulatory settings, Monday through Friday jobs. And so, I mean, it's a good two years before we even normalize um, even to maybe two years ago. Tiffany, when you think this is not related to singing river, but I had to I just curious your thoughts about it. I think about the the challenges Mississippi in particular has with so many rural hospitals. I've I've spent a lot of time up in the Mississippi Delta. Greenwood Hospital is where I would go if, if something were to happen there. And frankly, more recently, if something were to happen there and I could get to Jackson, that's that's what's gonna happen. Because Greenwood Hospital is just continuing to sort of wither away. That's right. a real, real challenge. What does Mississippi do? What What do we do to you to know, provide healthcare? I've had a lot of conversations with people in Jackson and just um, you know some of my peers, and we're going to have to look at it differently. I mean, I don't. The resources are not there to give full fledged, you know, um, acute care facilities. Um, all of these resources. I think that we're going to have to say, okay, we have this population size, and we need a really good transport mechanism. We need really good stabilization mechanisms. People in Mississippi are used to only, you know, if they have to drive more than 15 minutes for healthcare, then I mean, by God, that would just, you know, be a horrible situation, which that's okay, but times are changing, and you know, and we have to kind of change with that to ensure that you're going to get to a place that does 300 heart surgeries, not a place that does 25 heart surgeries, or you can, you know, use that with any service line. And so I think that we're really going to have to, we need the rural health care centers. We need them to be able to stabilize and be able to maintain and get them to a facility who can do all those higher end tertiary care services. And so I think we'll probably see more of that, but I don't think the answer is just, you know, to close all, you know, close everything down. I think we just have to relook at what it, you know, from a population size looks like. And it's going to take significant leadership because what we're talking about is literally re-engineering the whole process, yes. re-engineering so that healthcare is provided, but it's going to be provided in a different kind of way. But this whole notion of triaging, uh, you know, in the cases where there are severe wrecks or accidents and so on, that people can get sort of the trauma care they need and then quickly transported to wherever the the the, the most the uh, closest or most appropriate maybe that's the best way to say it uh, medical facility to get their needs but yeah i'm uh, very interested in it i know that people talk about medicaid expansion as, as some do as sort of the cure-all but the way i look at it is just a it's one more important element to the overall mix right. and um, it's not going to solve our problems what's going to solve our problems is a re-engineering of sorts but every little bit helps, and uh, you know, we're talking about a massive amount of money here, and it takes all the money we can we can muster up to be able to provide the kind of medical and health care to Mississippians that we can provide. That is for sure. Hey, so just the state of affairs today, we'll get to the RFP process in a second. How are things going at Singer River just in general? You know, we have been very blessed. We have a very, you know, concrete strategy around, you know, moving to a post-acute world, but also focusing on those strategies around workforce, 
building that workforce and then the revenue producing strategies to being the very, very best at what we do. You know, we've done over 16,000 surgeries this year, you know, over you know 1.2 million lab tests. Um, we're still recruiting incredible physicians. If we can get them here and show them South Mississippi and to meet our other medical staff, they will stay. Um, so we're doing, I mean, our Sing River Gulfport campus is doing phenomenal. You know, they're not transferring, they're continuing to grow um, and build services. So, you know, we're doing great. And again, we're capitalizing on our uh, net revenue producing service lines. And, but so our main focus is to, you know, maintain expenses. And so we, you know, we had a great December, you know, year to date, we're looking um, good. And that's why, but to, you know, to your point, we made the decision to sell when we could, when we can still give really great health care to this community. So we can end up partnering with someone that's really great that the supervisors have a choice to ensure that we can continue to give these services. And it's not on a, you know, a, a bankruptcy type situation. Um, so we wanted to do it when we, when we could make really good choices. So if you, what we'll do, if you don't mind, if you have, if you have time, we'll, we'll, we'll bring this into the next segment and I'd like, we can talk about more specifically operating from, from a position of strength, the point that you just made and why that's actually really important and what the, what sort of the tea leaves tell you about the future. If you don't have the ability to have scale economies of scale, particularly around capitalization, et cetera, we'll go there in just a second. I want to talk just a little bit about the emergency room and what's the latest related to the emergency room and how do you manage those expectations related to the emergency room? Yeah, you know, you hear a lot about borders. People probably didn't hear about that in the past. And that's, you know, when we have individuals who are waiting for rooms upstairs and they're taking up an ER bed, which kind of pushes the wait time in our waiting rooms, you know, hour, two hours, three hours. Um, and that is not because there's not enough physical beds. Again, that's, you know, enough people to open those beds upstairs. And so um, I think that, you know, the state of the union with the ERs, we're going to have to reiterate to individuals that the ER is for urgent, emergent care. We're gonna, you're gonna start to hear us talk about, you know, what you need to see in our primary care clinics, what do you need to see in our urgent care clinics, um, so that you're not having to wait three hours, but we can get you what you need at another place that's significantly cheaper for you as a, you know, as a customer as well, and also much more efficient and timely um, to get in telemedicine is going to do a lot of that for us. So you're going to see, you know, not everyone kind of coming for a headache or different things into the ER, but really for that emergent, urgent care that needs to be taken care of. And then admissions will, you know, the whole throughput will change. Yeah, that is, a, I can see where that's a, a real challenge. People, it's just something built into people's psyche that if they're having an issue, go to the emergency room. While we've seen these other, these clinics popping up all over coastal Mississippi owned by different people, but who provide sort of this essential care that you might need in this moment that's not really emergency, but it will give you the relief that you're looking for. Um, what that forces you guys to have to do is triage like crazy. And that ends up pushing those less severe cases into the longer wait scenarios. And a way to avoid that is to take advantage of one of these clinics that are, again, that are all over the place. Hey, when we come back, we're going to get into the RFP process and why operating from a position of strength was really important with Tiffany Murdoch, the CEO of Singing River Health System. See you after this.
He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I have my friend Tiffany Murdoch, who is the CEO of Singer River Health Systems. And we're kind of covering the waterfront, getting an update on uh, the challenges and opportunities as it relates to Singer River Health Systems. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the RFP process coming up here in just a second. But when you mentioned the West Coast a few minutes ago, you spent time in California and Oregon. You know, that time you spent there, it is literally a huge value to you, isn't it? It gives you so much perspective on your current role, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, just from a strategy standpoint, I mean, it was when, you know, ACOs were first getting started. We did our first bundled payments with our orthopedic physicians out there. And um, just the markets were so much different. They moved to value-based very, very quickly because their payers kind of transitioned to that. So, it's been very helpful. I had great mentors um, to work with. Someone referred to you as a rock star. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that phrase to describe someone who's hitting on a lot of cylinders who are, you know, bringing everything they've got to the table with experience. And, you know, it helps actually. Is, is it unusual for a hospital administrator to have a nursing background? Is that kind of a, an interesting thing that you bring to the table? I think it is. I mean, I think you're starting to see more of that happen because um, you're seeing nurses go into different education fields. So my, you know, I went and got my MBA and my um, doctorate degree in public health. And so I think that people are, you know, seeing us, seeing nurses as they continue to educate themselves to be of value to sit at the table. I mean, I think it it helps with physician conversations. It helps with um you know, even just people call me, you know, about the ER and I can help kind of steer them. So uh, I think it, it's new. So the concept is interesting, but um, I think you'll probably see it more. Okay. So we're going to talk about the RFP process and why going through this process from a position of strength is important. So like Singer River Health System could have probably kept on going, but at some point in the future, you know, it was looking at most likely big financial challenges for a number of different reasons. We mentioned before the capitalization, which is, you know, buying the kind of equipment they need to be able to be viable, the challenges that are on them from a labor force point of view, all the issues related to, you know, uh, those who, who pay for the services of, of the hospitals, all that's so dynamic and, and created created challenges in the future for Singer River Health Systems. Uh, they are not in a bad financial state now. But the tea leaves said they might be if they didn't think to get a to get someone engaged in this hospital as a new owner that has the scope and scale to manage this. So it can bring economies of scale, can bring buying power, all the kind of things that 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 we need in a community like ours. But uh, but it is good to go through the process when you're yeah. in a in a position of strength, isn't it, Tiffany? Yeah, because you want to show your worth. I mean. We are, again, a very viable health system that gives, you know, real health services all the way up to Meridian. I mean, we have advanced endoscopy that no one else has in the state of Mississippi. And so it's really important to do it from the place of strength. Also, our 4,000 employees, we want someone to be able to choose that, you know, values that, that we're not used as a defensive mechanism to, you know, not allow another organization to come in. And so... Um, it gives the supervisors uh, some choice, which I think is really important. And I mean, we're doing the hard things now. You don't want, 
you know, five years from now, if we just kept doing the same thing over and over again, we would just, I mean, we would be non-existent and that's not what we need to do for our community, but we have to make those hard decisions about change now so we can continue to be viable for 50 years from now, not just once the sale happens. Uh, That's actually a really, really good way to say it. Um, A lot of people think Oshner already owns Singer River. And um, let's rem- they, they may be a suitor, and you you may not even necessarily know about that because it's important for people to realize that this RFP process is uh, is a confidential process. Tiffany, what she's in the business of doing currently as it relates to that, and she can talk more about this, is providing tons of information for whoever may be interested in the situation through, and I'm, I'm assuming a third party intermediary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So um, so anyway, let's start with Oshner doesn't own Singer River Health Systems currently. You have a partnership that's unique. Tell us about that. Absolutely. They do not own it. We have a strategic partnership agreement. So um, we work with work with them on our GPO. We kind of already saw that we were going to need some help in regards to supply chain and things like that. You know, we have a, a, a good, a great relationship with them in Harrison County around, you know, they have an ambulatory out, um, you know, footprint um, from an outpatient standpoint and um, work very well with our physicians at the hospital there that we on. But there's there's no ownership. There's just a really great partnership. Um, so, uh, no. And, you know, the beauty of the RFP is that we it is unbiased. And so people will submit their bids to the RFP requirements, which you can go on the Board of Supervisors websites and see. But we provide the information and then Raymond James and Butler Snow are the ones kind of running that process. So it keeps us out of it. So we don't you know, have any bias or even you know, relinquish any confidential information. So will the decision come back to the Board of Trustees who will make a recommendation to the Board of Supervisors or will it come straight to the Board of Supervisors? Straight to the Board of Supervisors. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of that's kind of the way I envisioned it. Yes. I can only imagine, you know, I've been through mergers and acquisitions before, but I can only imagine how complex this RFP is. Is it? I mean, it's just mind boggling. It's mind boggling. I mean, I have three of my um, you know, individuals who I work with, my chief legal officer and my chief financial officer and my chief human resources. And we are we probably do 30 to 40 hours of just data or, you know, given the data that's on top of like what we're already doing you know, uh, running the health system, which is good. I mean, we want to make sure it's correct so people have what they want, but it's a pretty interesting process um, because I think we're, you know, it'll be one of the largest uh, publicly, you know, public RFP uh, processes maybe for the state, but um, not completely for sure on that. It's got to be significant though, because yeah. Singing River Health Systems is no small, no small system. When you when you say, you know, I remember so well because I was involved in so many corporate initiatives, somewhat like this, to be honest with you. And I remember thinking, I, I thought I understood. There's not enough hours in the day. <laughs> I, I had it made then. <laughs> I, then I did not understand what was actually possible in terms of really meaning. I don't have enough hours in the day, but you know what I'm talking about, don't you? I do. You know, it, my four and six year old remind me of it um, often. Of that, there are not enough hours in the day. But yeah, you know, I I have learned a lot. I feel so blessed and so lucky to be a part of the process because at least I feel like we're guiding it into the right direction. And um, I do, there's light at the end of the tunnel. 
you know, it'll, you know, there, whatever will happen will happen. And we'll at least know that we put everything possible forward to have the best decision made. I'm, uh, I'm sure that's going to be the case. And with Butler Snow and Raymond James engaged in it, um, both of them incredibly good at what they do, looking at it from a financial perspective, from a legal perspective, all the different pieces of this, um, you know, a good decision is going to be made for the community. I, I, I'm actually proud. You know, here's a, here's a system. It's rare, actually. I mean, here you have a county-owned system that's made a bold decision to plan for the future, as you pointed out, not next year and the year after that, but for the next 50 years. What's what's going to – what needs to unroll here in coastal Mississippi in a way that provides the kind of long-term health care that's going to be the best it can possibly be for a community like ours? Um, well, I'm sorry. That's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, well, I love how um, how you started it off is that we can't be silent. And I think when I came into this role in February um, of last year, the fact that, you know, we, we said, you know, this may be our jobs, this may be, you know, a really bold statement, but this executive team cannot sit here knowing, I mean, because I have a very talented executive team and not let the board of trustees who you know, had the courage to go to the supervisors who then had the courage to tell the truth and make sure that people knew what was going on in healthcare and be proactive and innovative about the decisions that they were making. And um, I'm pretty proud of our, our of our county for doing that and kind of stepping up and, you know, and because we were transparent, there was no vote. I mean, we moved forward with the process because people trusted us. Well, on the, on the heels of the retirement you know, fund issues and all of that, it could have made people get a little bit of cold feet, but you guys managed through that part really well, didn't you? And we, I think that we spoke to a, one type of group or another in the community, you know, for three months straight, just, you know, t telling the same message, having the same conversation, being very transparent. And um, I, I'll never forget that. I mean, Shannon Wall was unbelievable. Her and her team, that got me set up with the individuals to have conversations with. Um, our community members were incredibly supportive. Um, T. McCovey, you know, Paige Roberts, all of these individuals who just, you know, Jerry St. Pay, you mentioned him, went above and beyond to make sure that our community got the message they needed to hear. You've got, I, I mean, look, I, I call it like I see it, but you got a dream team you just mentioned, Paige Roberts' role in the chamber is so much more than I say your father's chamber. It certainly does that still, but what she does around community building and communicating is incredible. T's effort as well. I mean, Jerry St. Pay, he's in his 80s and he hasn't seen any letting up, man. The guy continues to provide inspiration and knowledge to this community. It's just incredible. And then Shannon Wall, I had a had a uh, role in Higher Heritage to Sun Herald and she became publisher not long after I left. So yeah, you've got a good team, both inside your, your group and also the community. And uh, I wish you well. It's been, listen, it's been great to catch up with you today. Thank you so much. Nice to talk to you. This has been Tiffany Murdoch, CEO of Singing River the Health System. We'll see you when we get back from Brighton. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I really enjoyed that conversation with Tiffany Murdoch, CEO of Singer River Health Systems. And um, when I when I read what I read at the beginning of the show, silence is the enemy of progress. 
solutions to problems and challenges never follow silence. And of course, at the end of the conversation, Tiffany pointed out that this is a situation at Singer River Health Systems where they couldn't let silence prevail. And you had tremendous support from people in the community, leaders in the community, a board of trustees that was willing to be bold, um, the Jackson County uh, supervisors, board of supervisors, they were willing to be bold. And what will come, come of this is a, is a partner for the community going forward that has the, the kind of buying power, the kind of scale, the kind of capitalization abilities, uh, the expertise to be able to manage that Singer River Health Systems in a way that um, will bring it way into the future. As, as Tiffany said, they're not planning for the next two or three years. They're, they're planning for the next 50 years. I'll just congratulate all of them. We don't even know what the outcome of the RFP process is yet, but Butler Snow and, and um, uh, Raymond James are the partners on doing that independently. They'll make a recommendation back to the Board of Supervisors, and we will know. But the, th the thing that Tiffany and her team and all the people that they're working with have been you know, laying the groundwork and communicating in the community, talking to key stakeholders and coming to a conclusion that this process will help protect healthcare in um, the, that part of, oh, I say that part, it also includes Gulfport, but here in coastal Mississippi is really important. And uh, I congratulate them on, on their long hours and the work that they've done to get us to this point. Speaking of healthcare system, let me bring my friend uh, Cal Curley, the producer of Coastview, into the conversation. And first of all, just say good morning. How you doing, my friend? Doing pretty good at this point. You sound good, but what people don't know is Kyle did every single show last week, up and down and all around with COVID. And um, how you doing? Uh, you know, uh, just I'm doing good. I feel good. It, it's the same story as just about everyone else that you've talked to. A little tired here and there. Um I think mostly because last week my sleep schedule just was, I felt like going to sleep, I would go to sleep. And the whole thing revolved just around doing the show and I would take naps and then I would be up until two or three in the morning. <laughs> and oh, then no. I would sleep oh, in no. a little bit. Um, my son uh, and the dog shipped them out. So I didn't have, it was just me. Um, so it made things easier to when you're just dealing with just yourself. Um, but then again, it also messes up your sleep schedule. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're on the other side of it. So you you just, you feel a lot better. I do. I feel a lot better. Um, I learned to read, uh, medicine labels. Now, the first time I started on the antibiotic, it was really strong and it was typical. Hey, you might want to eat something, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I didn't do that the first time. And yeah, well, I, I read the label next and it, it didn't mess up. From here on out, but uh, I, you <laughs> they know, mean it. Hey, man, when they say eat some food before you take this pill, they mean it, don't yeah, they? They sure do. I thought I'd had some strong stuff before with you know the, the you all you always hear it's going to mess up your stomach, blah blah blah. Well, yeah, I wasn't ready for that one yet. <laughs> so, well, look, I'm proud of you, and I want to just thank you to the audience that you know what you did last week. You didn't miss a lick with this show, and I could tell, man. You there were a couple of days there you were. I was surprised you were there because yeah. you weren't feeling well. 
first but you did first, it. You did it. The, yeah, first part of the week, I was yeah. Let's just get through this. I, I <laughs> was kind of there, kind of not there. wasn't really paying attention. I mean, I knew what I was looking for and listening for for the most part, but a, a comprehension of what was said, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I should point out, Kyle does a Kyle does a good job of paying attention to what's being said, as he and I've talked about before. You know, he's he's learning a lot from listening to these conversations, and I'll, I'll, I'll we'll often get done, and we'll sort of agree to each other. That was a great conversation we just had, but it, you you do pay close attention, don't you, Cal? I do. Yeah, you, I mean, you have to really. Uh, it's you know, it's not saying that you have to have to, but it, it just for my better best interest, really, to pay attention to know what's going on and uh, to know where. Uh, if something was to happen, I, I know which part of the conversation to go look for, um, things like that. And it's part of my community and kind of want to know what's going on. So It is. It is. It is part of our community. And it is, um, even to me, after all these years of being engaged in the community and doing COSU and having this opportunity to talk to people I've worked with in the community for so many years, and a lot of new people that I never worked with in the community that are now the sort of emerging leaders of coastal Mississippi. But I, I tell you, I never, I never am ceased to be amazed at how many dedicated people there are in this community working so hard to make it all kind of fit together and, and thrive. That's so impressive, isn't it? It is, and we got about 50 seconds left, but the amount of money that's being involved in, in, in these efforts as well, they're not just throwing chump change. They're talking real dollars. The investments going on in downtown Biloxi, the investments that's coming that we keep seeing about downtown Gulfport, the mixed use, that's a lot of money. That's, you know, that that's big time. They buy into the vision of creating a sense of place for coastal Mississippi that is about the new economy and where we're headed from here. But we're lucky to live here. We're lucky to be surrounded by so many cool people. Anyway, thanks for all your work last week while you had COVID, my friend. You bet. You bet. You bet. Hey, listen, have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.